0: I begin by reading a letter to you, uh, co-workers and prayer partners from uh Tsua Kowloon, Hong Kong. The Open Doors with Brother Andrew author. And it reads, uh, Dear Co-workers, Greetings in Jesus' name. Once again, we have seen God's faithfulness to the church in China through the most recent delivery of Bibles by Mark S. McAllister's team. We thank God for His commitment to be used in this important way. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify, testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God. We are a team for the Lord in this ongoing effort. We know some prayed while others gave of their finances, time, and or talents. And in regards to prayer, I agree with Brother Andrew when he says, prayer is not the preparation for the battle, it is the battle. Therefore, our staff, along with the Christian co-workers in China, send a heartfelt thanks to you for this vital support. We would like to share with you some songs close to the heart of the suffering church in China. We have given him a copy of these special songs on a cassette tape to share with you. I never got that, so uh, omit that. Our prayer is that you will be drawn closer and closer together in fellowship with the suffering church in China through the love of Christ. We are willing and ready to help in any way we can to assist you in serving our Chinese brothers and sisters. May God richly bless you all, your fellow co-worker for Christ and for His body worldwide, Victor, Hong Kong program, Head for China." And I would postscript that by saying that indeed, uh, you did the work and I benefited. I just got to see God really work in some really mighty ways. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. Uh, but before I do, I would like to reoccasion that, uh, I share in all humility, I don't intend to, uh, present myself as some, uh, example that no one else can m- meet up to or, or attain, uh, because, uh, when I share with you who went and what we did, and that it was all the Lord, you'll understand that God could use any one of you to be God smuggler to China to take scriptures in. And, uh, it's an exciting thing, uh, but this is an excerpt from a French communist publication. And uh, it's a sobering thought, and it's a convicting thought, but I think it will uh, draw your attention to the work and uh, perhaps motivate you to really consider the spiritual warfare that's involved between uh, Christianity and communism. And it reads the following. It's called The Communist Challenge. And this is written by a French communist who says, the gospel is a much more powerful weapon for the renewal of society than is our Marxist philosophy. All the same, it is we who will finally beat you. We are only a handful and you Christians are numbered by the million. But if you remember the story of Gideon and his 300 companions, you will understand why I am right. We communists do not play with words. We are realists, and seeing that we are determined to achieve our objective, we know how to obtain the means. Of our salaries and wages, we keep only that which is strictly necessary. We give up the rest for propaganda purposes. To this propaganda, we also consecrate all of our free time and part of our holidays. You, however, give only a little time and hardly any money for the spreading of the gospel of Christ. How can anyone believe in the supreme value of this gospel if you do not practice it, if you do not spread it, and if you sacrifice neither the time nor the money for it? Believe me, it is we who will win. For we believe in our communist message, and we are ready to sacrifice everything, even our life, in order that social justice shall triumph. But you people are afraid to soil your hands." I I can't add anything to that. Just let that settle in your heart. And if anyone would like a copy of this later, I'd be glad to give it to you. Uh, But with that as an introduction, at the same time, let me share with you that they won't win, that Jesus Christ is the victor, and we're involved in spiritual warfare. It's not uh, an issue of ideology or belief, political or economic systems. It is spiritual warfare. And that's why the uh, thanks is given in such uh, heartfelt gratitude for the prayers that went up because that is indeed where the battle was won. And uh, like I said, I was able to benefit from that and see lo- the Lord work in some really really tremendous ways. One thing I'd like to share with you before I get into my calling to the Suffering Church and my experiences is something that I really learned unexpectedly that I want to share with you which was really a blessing to me that the Lord really brought home to my heart. And that is that I visited a country where there is one-fourth of the world's population. There are one billion people in China. And when I saw these masses daily just moving around in hordes, the Lord just really spoke to me and and revealed to me that this fellowship in general and members in particular that God has placed in my life close to me, He's hand-picked out of 4 billion people from before the foundations of the world. And I just really appreciate every one of you, especially those of you that the Lord has allowed to to draw close to me and vice versa. And you can only get so close to so many people. And when you realize your limitations in relationship in this lifetime, and when you see billions of people swarming on the face of this earth, it just really really makes you appreciate more of the people that God's placed in your life. So I'd really exhort you to uh, take that home to heart and be very thankful and appreciative of those people. They've been special chosen to be a part of your life and to share uh, and to grow with in in all areas. So with that, I I really feel like I want to share with you uh, briefly, very briefly, in a nutshell, how I felt called to this suffering church to begin with some of the trials that I went through in getting to that first step of going. Uh, several years ago, when I was living in California, the Lord took me through some extremely, extremely trying times where my faith literally was on the line. And basically what the Lord was doing was dropping all of my head knowledge into my heart. But it was a very painful process. And in a nutshell, what He did was that He removed from me every... Uh, support system of my own that I'd ever developed for my security, false security at that. And gave me literally nothing but His Word to stand on. And it was difficult at times because in a sense, I grew up learning to be very self-sufficient and relying upon and trusting in no one. And that carried over into my relationship with the Lord for a time. But He took all of that away from me and only gave me His Word to sort of hang my hat on and my natural mind told me that he would use me in a ministry to minister to people that had gone through similar things like me uh, without getting into the specifics. Uh, it involved a lot of emotional problems. And indeed, he has used me in that capacity and continues to to this day to an extent But it was not the intended result of the things that I'd gone through. Strangely enough to me, he began to put the suffering church on my heart. And at that time, I didn't really even understand why. And he began to show me that there are people throughout the world, literally millions of Christians, that go through things as trying, if not more so, and probably more so than the things that I endured. And they don't have God's Word. They don't know the promises that are in the Bible. And the Bible says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. They don't have the opportunity to stand upon His promises and to rest in what God has promised them. So he just really, really put a burden on my heart for people that don't have the Scriptures. And as a result of that, I became familiar with Open Doors. And about two weeks after that happened, the Lord brought a, a friend of mine to my doorstep one night who I had not mentioned anything at all to about this and was crying her eyes out. And said, Mark, you've got to listen to this tape. You've been called to this ministry. And I said, what is it? And she said, it's a tape by Brother Andrew with Open Doors. And this was four and a half years ago and i thought well that's really neat and the lord really confirmed to me that he wanted me involved in that and some time went by and uh like moses and quite typically of many christians i attempted to bring all of these things to pass in my own carnal ways and and uh began to get books on china and her history and signed up for a course in mandarin and uh had all kinds of schemes to get over there and back free, one of which was to apply for a job as a flight steward with uh, the airlines. Uh, It made sense to me. I thought it was a good way to do it. And two of my friends got interviewed and I didn't, so I said, well, okay. And about a year went by of waiting and the Lord was dealing in my life and molding me and shaping me in different ways and building character in me and all. And about a year went by and I just started getting really uptight again. And I said, Lord, when? and I was really getting anxious and upset. And I did a Bible study at a hospital in West Covina one time, uh, about that time. One of the few that I ever did before I got to Albuquerque. And a girl that I had never seen before came up to me afterwards with tears in her eyes and said, Mark, you've been called to a ministry overseas, but you've got to do it in His time. Just mellow out and let God do it. So that held me over for about another year. and. Uh, <laughs> When I got to Denver in November of '80, I believe it was, uh, about six months into my stay up there, I started getting really uptight again. And it's like each one of these little things kept me going for another year of waiting and preparation and whatnot. And uh, the Lord led me into an in-depth study of the life of Joseph. And Tom Stipe happened to be studying it right after that. And then at the same time, Chuck Swindoll covered it on the radio. So I was bombarded with Joseph. And if you're familiar with his life, you know that it took 14 full years before the Lord brought to fruition the vision that he'd given him. And so I started counting and I thought, Lord, no, that's 12 more years. I'm not ready for that. But he really ministered to me that he needed to do things in my life to get me ready. And he told me that uh, I had gifts and talents and if I didn't use them now, I would lose them. And he really rebuked me for looking to a future ministry and not being involved today. And one of the results of me being willing to get involved today and not waiting for something to happen in the future was what's happening at Calvary Chapel here and the Lord's blessed me with the privilege of being a part of the ministry here. So anyway, subsequent to that I ended up in New Mexico and just about three, four months ago, maybe it wasn't even that long, I, uh, guess what, I started getting uptight again and I was ready to go and I said, Lord, I want to minister to the suffering church. And Skip just happened to be talking about Joseph in the Old Testament at that time. So I counted down again. I said, Lord, it's still ten more years. I just don't want to wait that long. But then the Lord ministered something to me about another brother in the Old Testament that was uh, sort of headstrong and he decided that he was going to climb a hill one day and smoke on the Philistines. So I told the Lord I was going to start climbing mountains and if He didn't want me up there, He's going to have to push me down. And uh, I made application again to open doors and I was accepted as a courier. And The Lord hooked me up with the Desert Vineyard in Lancaster, California, which has uh, become a training center for China missions. But the week before I went, I had a girl come up to me from the single fellowship, and I had not shared this with any of them. And she said, Mark, I had a dream about you, and I don't understand what it's about. And all I know is that I have this tremendous burden to pray for you, and I'd like to share it with you. Maybe you can explain it to me. And uh, she had a a dream that consisted of two scenes. And the first one, she said, I don't understand it that you were underground like in a cave. And she said, in the second scene, you were underground with a bunch of people. And I said that that was the Lord sharing with her that I was going to be involved in a ministry to the underground church and those people represented His church. And so He confirmed it to me one more time the week before I left, which was exciting. Because you wouldn't believe the anticipation that you feel when you leave Hong Kong and you're headed for Shanghai Customs with your baggage full of Bibles. It's just radical. But it's a blast. Uh, I've always loved adventure and intrigue and God knows that and He's given me the desires of my heart. And uh, China's a good place to get your feet wet if you're interested in that. There are places in the world that I'm not willing to go right now. One of which is Albanian. They claim that they're completely atheistic and not one outsider has ever made contact with a Christian inside to this day. 1983. And... uh, Anyway, maybe I'll get into that some other time. At any rate, the Lord had me wait four and a half years to go to China. And about once a year, He gave me a little help to wait. And uh, one of the reasons I learned later that He allowed me to wait is because I prayed specifically that when I went, I could go in on an individual visa. I don't like people telling me where to go and how to get there and what to do and when. I just don't like that. And can I go to the bathroom now and all that stuff? Well, I had the privilege of being a part of a group of the first individual group visas sent through Open Doors in Lancaster to go into China. And we were sort of a test group for future missions and ministries there. And uh, he gave me more than I asked for, uh, which I was reluctant to accept at the time because they made me a leader of five other people. And I said, I've never been there. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, but if you tell them that and they're willing to accept me, I'll lead them. And I did and we did and it was a blessing and the Lord just really worked through all of us. So we had the freedom to move about as we wanted to and we weren't confined to a tour group. And uh, when I left here, we had a couple of days of training in Lancaster and a few days of training in Hong Kong. Uh, there were six of us that went in. And just to share with you the fact that anyone can go if the Lord calls you, we had a young married couple that were 20 and 21 years old Myself, a single man that's 29, a single girl uh, that's 24, a single girl that was 35, and a, a married woman of two or three children that was 35. And all of us carried in a piece about 120 Bibles. The six of us took in 632 Bibles. And uh, we delivered all of them safely. And it was a little touch and go a couple of times, and I'll share that with you as we go along. But, uh, and one of the reasons that you got the postcard that said thank you for talking to Dad about me was because they train you when you go to training. Forget you're a Christian openly. You don't, you don't pray over meals. You don't say praise the Lord in public. You don't hug each other and do all those things that Christians do. And I sent another postcard. I don't know if you got it or not, but it said you can thank our Father because the children have received their bread, which I sent from Shanghai. And they teach you, you know, you use little buzzwords that only Christians would know, and it's safe to communicate that way. But, uh, at any rate, that's the reason that you, uh, received the the postcard that you did. And if you think it's an easy thing to just stop being a Christian openly, try it sometime for about a week and see how many times you blow it. On the way over there, on Philippine Airlines, which is PAL, and another word for that is plane always late. Uh, a bunch of times I found myself saying, praise the Lord, and they poked me and go, you're supposed to be leading this group, you know, <laughs> Get it together, and it was just hard, but you can try it sometime and, and it's not easy. Anyway, after our training in, in Hong Kong, uh, we boarded the CAAC Airlines for Shanghai, and like I say, the anticipation is incredible. During that three and a half four hour flight, it's like God, how are you going to do it? And uh, am I going to get busted? And if I do, what do I say? And what are they going to do to me and all that? But you know, the amazing thing was that when I got to the customs line, and all of the rest of the people said the same thing, I felt like I was online in line waiting to get on a Matterhorn at Disneyland or something. It was just I was so peaceful; it was incredible. And that's because you people were praying for us. I'm convinced of that. I've never experienced so much grace in my life the whole time that I was there. And I've never drawn so close to the Lord and been so cautious about my spiritual uh, perception as when I was there. And I'll share a little bit more of that with you as well. But it was just like waiting in line just to get on a ride somewhere or something. In fact, when I got to Hong Kong, which is... uh actually leased from uh, mainland China, from Great Britain, which is the reason my postcard was postmarked London. Skip thought I told him I was going to China and went on vacation in London. <laughs> what were you doing in London? You're supposed to be in China. Uh, that's the reason. Uh, but I was more intimidated in Hong Kong customs when I didn't do anything wrong and it was in a free country. Just You know how uniformed people can just bug you? They can just be intimidating all by themselves. you know. And I felt that way even when the singles group went to, uh, to Mexico to go down to work at the orphanage. I was more intimidated there than I was in a communist country. Amazing stuff. Really exciting. Anyway, we broke up into groups of two because we didn't want to be seen in a large group of Westerners from the States and draw any attention to ourselves. And as we were standing in the customs line, uh, Jody and Sarah went through first. And this is one of the tentative, tentative moments because there was a Westerner directly in front of them that they literally picked apart piece by piece. They removed every single item out of their suitcases. And we were packed so heavy with Bibles that well, in, in, my, in my suitcases, I had a big shoulder bag and a suitcase. They were full of Bibles with one thin layer of clothing on top. And I traveled very light and had a lot of laundry done in China. <laughs> but... All they would have had to do is just open the suitcase and pick up one layer and there would have been 110 Bibles there. And uh, anyway, they picked apart this guy piece by piece. And I've never prayed in the Spirit so much in my life. And when I prayed in English, I said, God, thank you that Jody is in that line and I'm not. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we're supposed to lay down our lives for the brethren, but... When Jody and Sarah got up there, we had he had to declare things on your customs card, and Jody had declared one pair of loop earrings, and she made the loop she made the L a small case L, and you have to know that the, the customs people there are, a lot of them still learning English and they have heavy accents and they don't know it real fluently, and he looked at this thing and he said, why do you have eleven hundred pair of earrings? <laughs> And it was one loop earring. What is this 1,100 P earrings? I don't understand it. So she kind of laughed and she took them off and showed him to him. And he said, what is this loop? And she explained that it was another English word for circle. And he was so excited about learning a new English word. <laughs> That she just, she just put the earrings back on and she's pretty cute anyway and I don't know if Chinese are, are attracted to Westerners but that might have had something to do with it. Go on through. Connie and I went up on the other side and I made up my mind before I got to that counter that I was gonna not put my bags on the counter. If they wanted them they're gonna have to ask for them. So I set them down on the floor behind me and walked up to the counter. And she said, are you here on business? And you'd be amazed at how they pronounce McAllister. I couldn't even repeat it if I tried to. But I said, no, I'm not. And she tried to ask me if I was a tourist, but her English was so poor about the fourth time, I thought, God, please tell me what she's asking me. Because I kept going, huh, what? What do you want? No, I don't have any Bibles. <laughs> I don't know what she's asking me. So finally, Connie determined that she was asking me if I was a tourist. And I said, oh, yes. I pulled a cant on her, you know. Hey, yeah. A tourist? I love your country. I love your people. I'm a teacher. I'm just here to learn. Go on through. Dave and Margette were the last ones to go through. And when they got up there, they asked them, do you have any gifts for the people? And they will ask that very often, just at random. Or they'll ask, do you have any Bibles for the people? Because they know about open doors and they know that Westerners bring Scriptures in in suitcases. And when you're trained, they tell you, don't ever lie, but don't tell the whole truth either. <laughs> and so Dave said, I don't know anybody in China. He didn't answer the question, you know. And they they, asks, uh, they ask they the same thing. Do you have any gifts for the people? I don't know anybody in China either. Or something that you can do is if they ask you if you have any Bibles, is you can whip out a little NIV New Testament that we hand out here and say, Yeah, I've got my own. How'd you like me to read something to you? And they don't really like that, so just get out of here, will you? You know, you don't tell them that you have 110 more Chinese Bibles in your suitcase. And if you could do it, if you ever want to do a very interesting study in the scriptures about ethical concealment, which is God ordained, uh, read the book by Brother Andrew, The Ethics of Smuggling. And an example of that is when uh, Samuel was told to go and uh, anoint David king. He came back to the Lord and he said, if I go do that, Saul's going to find out what I'm doing. He's going to kill me. So God said, okay, then just tell Saul that you're going to make sacrifice for the people, which is what he also went to do. But he didn't have to tell Saul that he was going to anoint David king. And God ordained that. Or like Rahab that uh, that hid the spies in the Old Testament and lied to the people, to the government. And she made the, the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. And the ethics of smuggling is chock full of those examples in the Scriptures that God really has ordained. So... Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing that the Lord uses little things like loop earrings or the fact that I couldn't understand what she was saying or the fact that a lot of the Chinese customs agents just get a little bit uptight when you're trying to communicate because they really want you to know that they know English very well. And they're very proud people in that respect and it's, uh, they train you to play on that and to use that against them so that you can get through. And the people do get caught and they do ask people about open doors very often an an example is a brother that got caught a while back they took and interrogated him and asked him uh, in a a broken way uh, about open doors and the guy got up and walked over to the door and he said open door closed door open door closed door (laughs) and then that freaked them out so bad that they just kept the bibles and told him to go go away Another guy got caught and they told him that he nor his Bibles could enter that country nor could he come back and they told him to get back on a plane and go back to Hong Kong. He was not welcome there. And somewhere between customs and when he boarded the next flight, he exchanged his shoulder bags with another brother that took him in. So the Lord works in a lot of different ways over there and it's exciting to see it and to be a part of it. At any rate... When we got to Shanghai, we got to the hotel that we stayed in, our heavy, our luggage was extremely heavy. And uh, the people there would not let us take it up uh, to our rooms ourselves. And they must have asked, if they asked once, they asked a dozen times, why are your bags so heavy? And we made up some hokey thing about being rich Americans that don't know how to pack light. And, uh, anyway, uh, the Lord miraculously really put Connie on the freight elevator with the the, uh, bags because I attempted to and they kicked me off. But she really miraculously got on and was able to be with the bags on the way up because I'm convinced they would have looked inside of them if they'd had a chance. So that was a blessing, the first miracle that we saw. And at any rate, I in in Hong Kong had been given a whopping five minutes to look at a picture of our contact inside and was given a, a way to contact him, which I did when we got to the place that we stayed in Shanghai, uh, albeit it was a hassle and it was uh, a concern for a while. And I had been given two backup contacts in Peking, but I really didn't want to go through customs one more time. Uh, I thought, Lord, let's just get it over with in Shanghai. And uh, so we made contact with uh, our friend in Shanghai. And... Uh, It took five drops an entire day to get rid of all of our Bible. And the first three drops went relatively uh, easy. There wasn't really anything uh, out of the ordinary to speak of uh, that would concern anyone. Uh, Although it was very exciting and is a neat thing to be a part of. Over all these years, I had this image in my mind about what it might be like. And it was kind of like that, but it was different too. But the fourth time, Dave and I came out of the hotel and we were each carrying a shoulder bag with 60 Bibles apiece and 120 Bibles. And for the first time, I felt extremely uneasy. My spirit was just in an upheaval. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew something was wrong. And when we got to our contact point, for the first time, he wasn't there. And I started praying in the Spirit again. Uh, it was very uncomfortable. I didn't know what was happening. And we approached an area that we'd been to many times before, not when we were doing business, but just as tourists. And a miraculous thing happened, which i have to explain in order to get the point across. But if you're a Westerner traveling in China, you are an immediate celebrity. And people want your time. And if you stop on any given street for four or five minutes, you will have at least two or three hundred people around you. They want to touch your skin. They're freaked out by beards because they don't have facial hair. Or heavy-set people are just Blown away by if Given the chance, they'd stare at you for eight hours. I'm serious. They, they'll, they won't eat. They won't sleep. They won't do anything. They don't even go to the bathroom. They just stare at you. Well, this is the only time that we stopped in a street like that that not a single person approached us. And we stood there for a good ten minutes because our contact was all supposed to be two, three hundred yards away. And we were keeping an eye out for them. Amazing. The Lord literally blinded the people's eyes. Nobody approached us. They did not know we were there. It's the only time it ever happened. And those are some of the things that the Lord did in answer to your prayers. But about ten minutes later, I looked around and he beckoned to me. He was there with his eyes. And as we walked past him, he said, cross the street and go up about 100 meters. I'll meet you on the other side. And he went across and back down and met us the other way. He and a friend, and we loaded up his bike. He and two million other people have bicycles in Shanghai. For the first time, he gave us other instructions. And he said, do not go back to your hotel for at least an hour. And when you do, don't enter through the same door that you exited. Just go walk around and do something for a while. And we've been doing that anyway, because the Lord just put it on our hearts to do it. Because it's a peculiar thing for six people to come in heavy laden with luggage and then Five times in one day, go down with shoulder bags and then come back up empty. I mean, that's just different. You don't you don't see that every day. But one of the neat things the Lord did there was that the uh, the floor personnel and the elevator operator I think three out of the five times we went down either weren't there or the exchange were taking breaks, and it, the timing was just incredible. And our contact is picked an arbitrary time. Well, we'll meet you again at one o'clock. It takes me this long to get here and get back, and but the Lord was in all of that, even though He didn't know it. Amazing stuff. So he said not to go back to your hotel and do this and that. And then he said, be extremely careful because the whole fourth floor of the hotel that you're on is bugged and guess where they put us? It was on the fourth floor. And again, we had been trained not to say certain things and all, but there are times that we did slip and it really made us uncomfortable. We didn't do it purposely, but it happened. And I started praising God we only had one more drop to make. And we did. Uh, The next one was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and our business was taken care of. But I want to share something with you about this man. The authorities know about him and they're looking for him. And they are searching and scanning the countrysides and interrogating peasants about him to try and find him. So he needs a lot of prayer. He's not very safe right now. He also knows about a body of believers in Inner Mongolia of 800 where they don't have a single scripture. And we're praying that some of our Bibles will get up there. Also, our drop and the work that we did is just the beginning. The internal distribution network is very complicated and requires a lot of prayer and a lot of subversive work and a lot of time and detail and and all of those things. So the work just began. So those of you that have had a burden to pray, please continue to pray for him, for those believers in Mongolia and for those 632 Bibles. Anyway, uh, we made our fifth drop and while we were in Shanghai, we had an opportunity to, to meet, uh, to go to a what is called a three-self government church. Now, briefly I'll explain to you what that is. It's a government-sanctioned church which is made up of true believers, however, uh, they are under government control and they're extremely controlled and it is a puppet that the government displays to the free world and claims religious freedom. Okay, Now we went to one of those and uh, there were about 1,600 people and the place was packed out as a blessing to see. The problem is, is that there's only 14 churches in Shanghai and there's 22 million people. Now consider this. There are 66 times as many people in Shanghai as there are in Albuquerque, and there are only 14 churches. In Albuquerque, we have about 400 churches and a third of a million people, and several of them have over a 1,000 or 2,000 members. So it doesn't even scratch the surface. And the government is not opening up any more churches, at least not very quickly. Just a few here, a little here, and a little there, just to appease the people in the Western world. But when we got there, they met us outside of a gate, uh, gate courtyard that, that borders the church. And it's set well back and off a of Main Street. You wouldn't even know it was a church unless you knew where you were going, and we happened to know. But they meet you at the gate and they usher you upstairs into a balcony area where you're roped off from all the other believers and they stick to you like glue. They won't let you talk to the people there. And they're very friendly. And like I say, they're genuine believers. And it's not right for me or anyone else to judge their approach to their Christianity because many of them have been through some tremendous ordeals and have been persecuted. The brother that I talked to was missing a thumb and his whole hand was scar tissue. It had been crushed before. As a result, I'm convinced of persecution. And he was an elder and an usher at that church at the time. Nevertheless, it is a puppet and it does not portray the true church in China. The majority of the people are underground and are suffering persecution, especially the leaders. And the message that was preached that morning that was interpreted to us was dynamite. The guy talked about the cross of Christ and how that proves that He loves us and how we're to take up our crosses daily and that we're to lay down our lives for one another. And he went on to say, which has tremendous significance in China, even more so than here, that we need to love Jesus more than our parents. And in China, if you're familiar with it, they've been steeped in ancestral worship for years and and years. And parents and grandparents are rightfully respected, but overly so, to the extent that they wouldn't love Jesus more than their parents if they were called to make that sacrifice. So it it wasn't a lightweight message and it wasn't watered down and sugar-coated. And that was really neat for us. Um, I'd say about 80% of the people there had Bibles, most of which were government-issued, which uh, incidentally, there are about 22 million Christians in China now, and the government has printed a 1,300,000 Bibles, and they say that they have enough Scriptures. And if you want to buy one, you have to register so that they know that you're a Christian, they can watch you and see what you're doing. So right now, the Christians inside are asking for 10 million Bibles. And we took in 632. I mean, it's not even a drop in the bucket. There's a tremendous amount of work in China. For many of you, I think the Lord might even call you to go and do the same thing. But Jody and I were able to purchase Chinese Bibles downstairs in their little Maranatha bookstore. and. uh that was another way, I think, that they really portray freedom because it seemed easier for us to purchase them than the Chinese. And as dumb as this sounds, we thought we would take them home for souvenirs. I mean, I don't need it on my desk or in my office here. They need them there. But, you know, God chose foolish things and He used this anyway in Peking. We had a neat opportunity and I'll share that as I go along. But we did purchase two Chinese Bibles and two hymnals. And... Uh, When we got to Peking, um, we took them with us. Our work was done. We were quite a ways away from our entry point in that city. So we had a little more freedom to be open as Christians and to be able to witness to people and share our faith with them, which is exciting too. Because like I say, in China, you are an immediate celebrity. We played Frisbee one night about 10 o'clock at night in Tiananmen Square, People's Square near the Forbidden City. Excuse me. And within 15 minutes we had 2,000 people around us. If we'd have been able to stay there for an hour, I'm convinced there would have been 10,000. There are people everywhere. I don't think that word privacy is in the Chinese language. And if you don't like people nudging you and rubbing you and getting close and bumping and stuff, don't ever go to China. Because there's no place to go to get away from it. But we got to uh, Peking. Um, We arrived there about 11 o'clock at night and when we got to the, the hotel we were going to be staying in, there weren't any rooms. We went to another hotel and there weren't any rooms. By this time it was midnight and then our taxi cab driver decided that we had two taxis. One of them decided he was off duty and the other one decided that he didn't have enough oil in his car. So needless to say, we prayed a lot and negotiated a lot and ended up finally getting somebody at this other hotel to make some calls for us and make we clear outside of town in a place called Sportsman's Inn, which was built a long time ago and it was a dormitory style deal for uh, foreign athletes to stay in. And uh, we were indeed thankful that we had a place to lay our heads, but it's one of the drawbacks of individual visa. If you don't consider yourself an adventurer or uh, if you don't look at it as a challenge, go on a tour if you plan on going because there are things that you run into that you won't expect, that you have to look at as a challenge and as a blessing. Otherwise, you'd be bummed out and never go back to China again. Those things happen to you quite often, but I thought it was a blast. Uh, anyway, a few nights later, as we were going through Tiananmen Square, uh, Jody and I and Connie and Sarah were walking across, and we had a, a guy come and approach us on his bicycle, about a 22-year-old young man. And he asked us our names and we told him and he said that he'd been given an English name by his English teacher and uh, for the sake of uh, his safety. I'll call him Paul. Um, and uh, he asked me what I did for a living. And uh, I thought, well, Lord, should I go for it or not? <laughs> you know, and It was neat because there weren't too many people around. And they say if you witnessed anyone break off and walk with them or one or two people alone. Uh, because it's not safe for the people inside to even be seen speaking with people about the Gospel. And you can leave and think nothing ever became of it, but they're the ones that are going to suffer for it. And so anyway, it was neat because he was just with us and I told him I was a pastor and he said, Pastor? And I said, yes, I'm a pastor. And he said, you mean of the church? And I said, yes. And he got a big giant smile on his face and he said, I'm a Christian too. And we asked him, this was so exciting because I had prayed for months and it turned out later that Jody had too that we could make contact with a believer from an underground church. Really I'd like to have visited one but it's extremely dangerous for them and, uh, it very, it's very infrequent that it happens with western travelers. But we, uh, we came as close as we could and we began to share with him, uh, about his experience there as a Christian. And we asked him if they had Bibles. And he said, Bibles are extremely difficult to find and come by. And then he started to say, he says, you know, sometimes Westerners come and they bring Bibles. And when they get to customs, they don't tell them that they have them. And sometimes Christians inside get them in Peking. And we just got big smiles on our faces. and We didn't tell them that we'd been doing that, but we did tell them that we had opportunity to purchase two Bibles in Shanghai. Which, like I say, foolish as it was, we intended to take home. And the Lord had them for this brother and whoever else he wants to have them. We asked him if he'd ever owned a Bible and he said, yes, I had one once, but I gave it away. Because I knew some people that had never had one. Just melted us. I mean, my office is chock full of commentaries and Bibles and concordances and you name it. So we asked him about the church and he said, I don't like the government church. I just don't like it. We asked him if he'd like to have our Bibles and he just was overjoyed. And we didn't have him with us, so we made an appointment to have contact with him the next night. And when we went, when we met with him the next night... Um, <clears throat> It was about an hour before that Dave and I decided we were going to play Frisbee. And before we knew it, we had 2,000 people around us. And we thought, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And we'd have drawn all this attention to ourselves. And this guy's coming. And we got Bibles for him. So Dave and I broke off. And Tiananmen Square is a huge place. And we walked around it. And by the time we got back, most of the people had dispersed. And one dude ripped off my Frisbee. <laughs> Felt like telling them thou shalt not steal. <laughs> hey, read this right here. Anyway, that kept them busy, and the girls were sitting over in an area that we were supposed to meet with this guy, this Chinese the believer. And so a lot of people were off playing Frisbee, and a bunch of people had dispersed, and a whole bunch of people around the girls, and there were literally so many around them they couldn't see the sky. They were encaved with people. Just it's like E. F. Hutton everywhere you go. <laughs> I'm serious, it's just, that's amazing. Anyway, we came around Tiananmen Square and, uh, Dave sort of tailed off and I walked up to Jody who wasn't where she was supposed to be, which was really neat because it was two, three hundred yards from where we were supposed to meet him. And all of a sudden this, br- this brother comes out from nowhere on his bicycle and runs right into us. And uh, mind you, there's people everywhere around here. And so I said, uh, let's go for a walk. We started walking, and I broke off and went ahead for a while. I was just sort of checking things out. And about 40 people peeled off from the rest, and they started following us, one of which was a government official. And we walked and walked and walked and walked and walked, and And people finally gave up, and he, the official, was the last one to tail off and go somewhere else. So when that happened, I dropped back, and I picked up uh, a little shoulder bag that he had, and I had one too, and we were walking along. And as we were walking, we were sharing more with him, and he shared with us that he's the only student in his class that is not a, a party member, a communist party member. And he experiences persecution daily from the rest of the people there. And that uh, we asked him if he ever met in a house church because he had told us the night before that he didn't like a government church. And he looked at us almost as though he didn't know if he could trust us yet and he acted like he didn't know what we were talking about. And Jody said, he said, I don't I don't know what you mean. And Jody said, you know, do you ever meet with your friends in a house to worship and not in the church? And he stopped dead in his tracks and looked both of us straight in the eye as serious as I've ever seen anyone. And he said and pointed with his finger, you had better not tell anyone. But I meet with my friends. And my parents have forbidden me to go to church, but I lie and tell them that I'm going to study English and I go worship Jesus. Man. And the thing that hurt more than anything else when we were talking to him because they're so isolated from the outside world is that he asked us if it was illegal for us to meet in houses here. He thought that his Christian experience is what you could expect anywhere in the world. And we're almost ashamed to tell him what we have here. The freedom. It's just... Anyway, we gave him the Bibles and he went his way and uh, we went ours. I had another experience with a man at a, at a seawall in Shanghai. It wasn't even a Christian that had been there for his entire life and he'd been through many wars and he had the opportunity to learn English and he had um, a few jobs as an interpreter even back during the time when our Navy was there. And so he actually made three times as much money as a Chinese national than our Navy men were making. And because of that, he was able to save enough to buy an ounce and a half of gold a month. He saved a lot and had a lot of gold. And during the Cultural Revolution, they came in and took it all and everything that he had. And he said, I have my life. I have my bicycle. I have my life. I have food to eat. I breathe the air. I could care less about the gold. And this guy wasn't even a believer amazing it's just obviously and literally in a completely different world you can't even imagine and china's not as bad as a lot of places in the world as i'm sure you know anyway as we finished our experience and work in peking and all we uh did play the tourists some i got to climb the great wall and see the ming tombs and the thing that awed me more than anything else was the Forbidden City, and it, it, it amazes me that, that somebody, a human being, flesh and blood, somebody made out of dust like you and me, could have such an ego that they could build those uh, those monuments to themselves, let alone to their dead flesh. Just incredible. They're breathtaking sights. Just the, the the grandeur of the buildings and how ornate they are, and it was sickening. But that is the end of man apart from Jesus Christ. I mean, that's hopeless. Well, the Lord taught us a few more things upon our exit. And uh, there were a few times when, because the work was done and things seemed to be going smoothly or whatever, we found ourselves taking our armor off. And a, quite a few times, some things unexpected came up. One of which was, when we were getting ready to leave Peking for Hong Kong, even though most of us had even obtained our boarding passes, uh, the only person that was allowed on the plane was Jody. And the other five of us were held back, and we were told that we could not leave uh, Peking for one week. There's no way out of China for a week. You know, and when you're there and you want to be, it's one thing. But when you don't want to be there anymore, that's another thing. And it was neat for me because it just allowed me to just barely, and I mean barely, scratch the surface of what the people feel like inside. Because they can never leave. And the government tells them where they work and what they do and where they go and you name it. They have no freedom, basically, compared to us. But... (sighs) The five of us went back inside to the airport terminal and Dave and Margett broke off and we were able to get them a flight to Shanghai thinking at least they're closer to, to Hong Kong. Maybe they can get a, a flight out of there from there. And the other three of us, they told us again and again that you're not going to be able to get out for a week. And we went upstairs, three of us, to a cafeteria area and the Lord put on my heart, Read Psalm 121. And the moment that that came into my heart, Sarah said, you know, I've never noticed those hills out there before. And Psalm 121 says, I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. And the Lord said, Mark, I open the doors in and I'm going to open them out. And you forgot that. It was so easy getting in. you know. And a lot of the work went so well. And God blessed us so much as a result of all of your prayers and fasting. That he wanted to remind us who did it. And there have been groups through Lancaster that have gone over that have not had the prayer support that we had this time that had a lot of problems. More people got caught. A greater degree of spiritual warfare and a feeling of spiritual oppression came over them. And we were just really covered by everyone's prayers. And I just want to continue to thank you for that. So anyway, I thought, well, the Lord really wants to speak to me. And so I decided that I was going to pray and fast until we got out of China. And I went downstairs and walked outside into a grass area outside of the Peking airport in the middle of China. And there aren't very many cars there, just a lot of taxis and minibuses and millions of bicycles. And so it was relatively quiet and I sat down and the Lord reminded me that we got together before we went in and as the leader I had shared with him some things he put on my heart, one of which was Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And I told him, it says I will, not I want to or not I feel like it, but I want, I will. And so I just began to worship the Lord in the middle of the airport in China. And I had my own little afterglow out there all by myself. I'm the Holy Spirit just came upon me and I had Jesus goosebumps all over me in the whole shooting match. And I continued to read Psalm 131 and the last verse says that I will preserve your going out and your coming in from this day forth. And the Lord said, you will be in China tomorrow, or in Hong Kong tomorrow. He just really clearly showed that to me. And he also told me that when I walked back in the airport that Satan was going to try and rip me off. Now, before I'd gone outside, I had this encounter with a Frenchman and an Englishman who had been bumped off the same flight. They were just cussing up a storm. And they had gotten flights out supposedly that day to Hong Kong. And, you know, we're talking about how they were going to be there and all that stuff. And anyway, they got bumped off of that flight too. And I had told the guy earlier when we were talking that he needed to pray if he wanted to get out of China. And he just laughed at me. Well, when I walked back in the airport, I was about three feet off the ground. And he came walking right up to me, still cussing and calling him every name in the book, and said, there's no way you're going to get out of here today or tomorrow. Because they just gave us confirmed flights supposedly on the next flight, and we just got bumped again. I just smiled because the Lord knew, told me He was going to be there. And I said, you need to pray. And he got bummed out at me. But we were in Hong Kong the next day. And when I walked into that airport lobby in Peking, China, the center and the capital of China, i it's difficult to explain, but in the spirit, I saw, literally saw the Lord all over that place. I saw Him standing behind customs agents and making His way through the lobby and upstairs overlooking balcony areas. And the, the Holy Spirit was just indwelling in that place in the middle of communist China. It was so exciting. And I went back upstairs and I told the girls that we were going to be in Hong Kong the next day and they kind of went, well, I hope you're right because I don't want to stay here anymore. And so we spent the night in the airport hotel and and uh, we were out the next day. Which was really timely because uh, it was... Close to one o'clock, one thirty in the morning, the next day, that morning that we finally finished our debriefing in Hong Kong because we had a nine twenty flight out for uh, LA the next day, and so it was pretty intense the whole time. And uh, anyway, on the the way home, I decided to get over my jet lag in Hawaii for a few days. 'Cause it stopped in Manila, the Philippines, and then in Honolulu before it went to LA, so I thought, why not? I mean I'm not gonna be worth much here for a couple days anyway.
1: <laughs>
0: so and I didn't tell Skip either, and that was scary. And when I got back I explained everything to him and he said, I'm glad you did that and I thought, Whew. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Anyway, with that, uh, I would like to conclude by saying this, is that, that I would like to encourage any of you that feel an inkling toward a calling in that area to talk to me later and to please consider praying and going yourself. You can pray, you can give, or you can go. But there are ways that you can minister to the brothers and sisters in China or other parts of the world if that's your baby. There's communist countries all over the place. And uh, then the other thing is that just from a standpoint of your spiritual enrichment for your individual walk with the Lord, I have never prayed and fasted so much in my life. I have never girded up the lines of my mind so much in my life and been on my spiritual toes as much as I was in China. Because I just did not want to be out of tune with the Holy Spirit under those circumstances. And... We don't need to do that here. We really don't. And I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person that's lazy enough that I really need to put myself in places of accountability or places that I have to trust God in order to grow as much as I'd like to. And whether you consider going short-term or long-term, I will guarantee you right now you will never be the same person when you return. It will revolutionize your prayer life. It will make you so much more thankful for the freedom that you have, for the the availability of the Word in every respect. Um, I just don't think it will ever be the same. And it's just an exciting experience to be in a place where you are really forced to be what we should be every day here anyway, but we just don't because we don't have to and the Spirit is willing indeed that the flesh is weak. Again, I, I tasted just a little bit of the lack of freedom by not being able to get out. I was humbled tremendously by that brother's reports and by the person at the seawall that was simply thankful for his life. Um, and it really made me aware of my infantile attempts to sacrifice for the Lord here. And I don't say this to be condemning by any means. I'm sharing with you what the Lord convicted me of. we don't we don't sacrifice for the Lord. There's so much more we could do and so much more we could give up and we just don't do it. and I don't know if that'll ever change, but I sure pray that it does and i would like to encourage you that if the only way that that change can come about in your life is to go and experience some of those things, it's worth it. By all means, consider doing it. To take in 10 million Bibles by suitcase requires an awful lot of people. And the the, the number of Christians is growing daily. The most Bibles that have ever been taken in at one time is a million, but that took years of training and planning. Uh, the open door staff purchased a barge and tugged a barge full of one million Bibles into a harbor in Shanghai and unloaded them by moonlight and, and got about 95% of them uh, off, out of the harbor before the authorities showed up and busted the rest of them. That happened about three years ago. And uh, it made Time Magazine. I don't know if any of you saw that, but that just doesn't happen that often. The principal way that the Scripture gets in right now is by suitcase and you really can't take in more than about 120 at a time per person. So I'll leave you with that and also share with you that in the back corner over there next to John by the tape room, there is a sign-up sheet for people that are interested in missions in general, and there is a column for specific areas of the world. And that really is John's baby at Calvary here, and he's the man that you need to see. My interest lies more in, I don't really even consider Open Doors that much missions work. It's, it's not the traditional missions. It's more a ministry to the suffering church. Um, although it, it sort of falls into that category and that's the way most people refer to it. But uh, John knows a great deal about missions and has had a lot of experience on his own. Uh, and we're praying daily that, that uh, the Lord would open up that area here at Calvary Chapel more and more. Uh, and that more and more people could get involved. And John really has a lot of background and information for you. Uh, and again, if anyone is interested in China in particular or Open Doors in general, uh, I'd love to spend some time with you and share with you the expense and some more details. If you have any questions, I'd be glad to take as much time as you need uh, to share those things with you. So let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that uh, we would not be a people that would be afraid to soil our hands and that you would just really uh, touch those of us, Lord, that you would call to this type of work uh, out of a willing heart, Lord, never out of constraint, Jesus. We want to serve you because we love you and because it's a joy to do so and that you really desire to give us the desires of our hearts. Somehow, Lord, I pray that you would remove some of the apathy and the materialism that has infiltrated the church in the United States, Lord. And that you would really somehow teach us how to make sacrifice for you and for your people. So that we might lay down our lives for the brethren. Thank you for this time together and we commit these.